going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. Thank you so much, Capital. We are going deep on this episode on all things NFL as we get you set for the conference championships in the National Football League. We are down to four teams, all with really intriguing storylines. The Bengals come in as the hottest team in football, 10-game winning streak. Joe Burrow is that guy. It's 5-1 and one in the playoffs now, but if we're going to give... QBs, some love. It's not just Joe Cool playing at a high level. What about Mr. Irrelevant? Purdy is now 7-0 as a starter as the San Francisco 49ers, as you know, dispatched my beloved Dallas Cowboys, and go into Philadelphia, who are coming off a fantastic victory themselves. Fly, Eagles, fly. Tied for the largest win in team playoff history, and that defense is a problem. Five sacks most in the playoff era. Uh, in the NFL, but let's be honest. We're all talking about one player, one injury, really one ankle, and that is Patrick Mahomes and his health, his availability, because he is him. He is that guy when he's upright, but how close to the magician that is Patrick Mahomes will we be able to see? You know he had the high ankle sprain, and that is what we're going to spend the balance of this episode talking about what does it mean? What is his return to play in a win or go home scenario going to be like? And let's look back before we look forward, because this is not the first time Patrick Mahomes has had to play with a high ankle sprain back in 2019. He had a high ankle sprain. Granted, it was the other ankle. And maybe we'll get into later the difference between the two, this is his right, not his left, and he's a right-handed thrower. But still, talking about severe pain, what did he do coming off that injury, you ask? How about go 2-0, 7 TDs, 0 INTs, average 409 yards per game passing? That ankle injury happened against the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2019 as it did in 2023. But here we are, and he was a different player after the injury Last weekend, before the injury, 10 of 12, one TD. After the injury, 12 of 18, one TD. And so numbers still good, but you could see the material difference when he came out of the game. So I think they call an entirely different game this week. All of the runs to the left, I think it's going to be difficult for him to push off and get the ball out there on the stretch zone runs. So we're going to go into all the different aspects of him because he's been a problem in the divisional round as we saw. He's now 5 and 0 with 11 TDs, 0 INTs, putting up 34.6 points a game, but it has been different when he's had to face Joe Burrow. In the second half of these matchups against Burrow and the Bengals, Burrow's been the better player. 76.8 completion percentage, 560 yards, four passing TDs, just one INT, average 10 pass yards per Reception, 124.1 passer rating. Mahomes, on the other hand, 
56.7 completion percentage, 254 yards, 5.8 yards per attempt, zero TDs, two INTs, 54.5 pass rating, and most importantly, only 20 points. That's the second halves of the three games that Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes got up against each other. Burrow and the Bengals, 3-0. So what is it going to look like in the second half this week as he fatigues with that ankle? So we're going to tackle this from many different angles, scenarios. We're going to talk about what it means to play with a leg injury. Tap in with my buddy Mike Foltz because he's done it. Going to talk about the injury itself. Really get the text and subtext as to what a high ankle sprain actually is. We'll check in with Dr. Analogy of Inside Injuries about that. But first, let's go to Josh Briscoe to talk about how the Chiefs got here, how Patrick Mahomes got here, and what we can expect from them in a big game spot. Josh is the co-host of The Zone and host of Chiefs Post Game on Sports Radio 810 locally in KC. Is also found with the Arrowhead Report at Fan Nation and SI.com, and you may have heard him all of you podcast listeners, and if you haven't subscribed on the Times Hours podcast with The Athletic, and he's joining us to talk about what the Mahomes injury means for the Chiefs and what this AFC Championship game opportunity means to the Chiefs. Let's listen and learn from all things KC Chiefs from Joshua Briscoe. So I think everyone is... Interested, worried, concerned, intrigued about Patrick Mahomes and his injury. But before we tackle that, I want to actually talk about the game uh, because that also is a huge intrigue. Uh, Rematch. um, I was watching thinking, would Chiefs players and fans prefer home field advantage or not facing the Cincinnati Bengals uh, once again. Talk about the struggles uh, dealing with this team and really, quite frankly, this defensive coordinator for, for KC. Yeah, it's funny because Lou Anarumo, the, the Bengals DC, uh, is the only guy who I can think of who could reasonably have a case for saying, I've figured out Patrick Mahomes. Like no one else even has, has anything close to that. Um, and the Bengals really have been that team for the Chiefs, where it's just like, oh, okay, well, so this is this is a real thing, huh? Where the Chiefs have obviously kind of conquered everyone else along their path. So the the matchup here is going to be a fascinating one. Like you alluded to, I think Chiefs fans wanted the game at Arrowhead, which I certainly was feeling the same way. You know, having it in Kansas City uh, is certainly my preference, and I think the, the preference of most of us around here. But the Chiefs match up better with the Bills. Uh, figuring out what to do against Jamar Chase this time through, a guy who's obviously dominated the Chiefs in some of these recent matchups, plus what Anarumo is able to do on the defensive side, not to mention how good Joe Burrow has looked, especially this year. I've been really impressed by, by how much Joe Burrow has continued to grow even after being in the Super Bowl last year. But it is a, a fascinating chess match between these two teams. Again, the only team in football who I think can legitimately say, like, hey, look at the scoreboard. We, we've gotten you guys so far. Well, the front office looked at the scoreboard in terms of how they built this team, learning from the recent losses. Losing the Super Bowl a couple years ago, Patrick Mahomes running for his life. Okay, we have to address and rebuild the offensive line. 
have the Bills put up big numbers against us and then obviously lose to the Bengals. We need to address the secondary, given the quarterbacks and really the receivers in the AFC. We saw the benefit of that work in the divisional round. Kept Patrick relatively clean once he got hurt, and the secondary came up and made big plays. How much will we need to see even more maturation in those two areas with this matchup? It's definitely going to have to be a big part of it, and it is the biggest test for specifically that young secondary, just to start there. They are running out so many young guys in that group. You have Jalen Watson, who had that crazy pick against the Jags, where he climbed the ladder and brought it in with one hand. He was a seventh-round pick in this most recent draft. Um, Trent McDuffie, starting, he was a first-round pick. They traded up to go get him, but he's also a rookie. And then Legereus Steve was a fourth-round pick uh, a few years back. He's been playing at a Pro Bowl, All-Pro level, really been tremendous. But the growth of that group, which I've been really high on this whole this whole season, I love what they did with that with that group this offseason, reinvesting in that position. The Chiefs always have gotten the most out of their young corners. But it is a pun, I guess, intended, really tall task to deal with a guy that has the size of a T. Higgins or the overall absolute dominance of a Jamar Chase. So those guys are going to be tested in a huge way, which also I think really reflects on the pass rush, which has also had its issues this season and has also come on pretty strong in the back half of the year. So they're going to have to hurry Joe Burrow, but he doesn't get bothered all that much by having to speed up his process. He's kind of a a football quarterback playing robot, which has led to, to his dominance over this last year and so. So, Seeing if they can affect Burrow is going to be one thing. Chris Jones up the middle will be huge, but then the corners have to be able to pay that off. Um, you mentioning the offensive line on the other side. There has been some sort of touch-and-go feeling moments from both of the tackles, Orlando Brown on the left side and Andrew Wiley on the right side. But like you said, things got better after Mahomes got hurt in terms of be, being able to keep him largely pretty clean. But even on that, those early drives in the game, before the injury, I mean, he was getting absolutely swarmed. That's why you saw the jump passes and stuff that he did because he wasn't really working much of a clean pocket, but he had more of those snaps later on when he did have time to work. So it is going to be a very tough task where really the Chiefs' offensive line, since the Bengals game, has given you cause for encouragement. In the, the Bengals game, the regular season game they played a few weeks, but I mean, at this point, what, five or six weeks ago, um, that matchup was the last time that the Chiefs' offensive line looked really overmatched. Like they just, it was, it was not a fair fight there. So seeing if that gets replicated will obviously be enormous for the AFC Championship game. You talked about the want and real need to have this game at home. I was a little bit of a antithetical thinker as I walked through the scenarios while watching on my couch, thinking once Mahomes is injured, certainly at this time of year, don't know what the weather is going to be like for a playoff game, what the footing is going to be like, what the the elements will be in general. Does it make more sense if you want good football from him to be in a sterile environment with you know good, clean footing and whatnot? Mind you, the flip side of that is you have you know all of the um, – advantage of being at home in terms of giving him the medical care that he needs and not having him get on and off a plane. What do you foresee the team having to do to get him ready to play uh, no matter where the game is this weekend? I mean, it is going to be a titanic task because so frequently we see high ankle sprains, not just, not just knock guys out for a week, but oftentimes it's, we're talking about, what, four to six or two to eight. Sometimes you get those 
crazy long windows of wondering what it's going to be before a guy really looks like himself again. And even going back to that Buccaneers Super Bowl where you mentioned you know, the offensive line falling apart, Mahomes also had turf toe at that point, and that was affecting his game. He was playing – he did some crazy stuff in that Super Bowl regardless. But, like, those limitations really concerned me. Um, I did wonder the similar thing to you, like, if, especially if the field ends up in, in any sort of messy shape at, at Arrowhead on Sunday. Could that end up being an issue for Mahomes' ankle? But they, they take immaculate care of the, the grass out here in Kansas City, and that group has been doing a tremendous job keeping it healthy. The grass, I mean, uh, as opposed to going into a stadium and kind of wondering what you're actually going to get in Atlanta turf-wise. We've been talking about that a lot around here lately, kind of strangely. Uh, but a dome environment would definitely be tempting for a guy just trying to you know keep his feet under him, literally, I guess. Uh, beyond that, though, figuring out how to – get Mahomes to Sunday where he can look like any version of himself. I think he's definitely going to be a little bit more uh, stagnant in the pocket to some extent. You're not going to be able to see him make as many plays with his legs. I'm already accepting that now with, with several days to go, obviously. But in terms of what they're going to have to do to get him there, he went straight to treatment after the game on Saturday. He got the MRI results on uh, Sunday pretty early in the day. It is, it is object one for a very good training staff here in Kansas City, but they have their work cut out for them. Yeah, good thing FedEx Field is not uh, the place that he'll <laughs> be playing. Is uh, We know that hasn't been great footing for many, and you know, I, I would argue you know, derailed uh, Robert Griffin III's career uh, as he you know, mm-hmm. tried to get back and play off of injury in a playoff scenario, uh, and it wasn't good for him. Or anybody, we have seen Mahomes come back from uh, an ankle sprain. Now, granted, it was the other leg, but in 2019, two games falling uh, in ankle injury, two and zero, seven TDs, zero INTs, 409 yards per game. Pretty good. You've covered him. People talk about the arm angles, the creativity, uh, the fearlessness in terms of where he throws the ball. Andy Reid has gone to great lengths talking about how smart he is, his IQ. I think the aspect that people don't appreciate about him enough, and maybe we should raise our level of awareness when we're evaluating QBs coming into the league, is his toughness. Can you put in perspective just what a dog of a competitor he is? Uh, I could take you back to that game in Denver um, when it was the last time Patrick Mahomes ran a quarterback sneak, and it might be the last time Patrick Mahomes runs a quarterback sneak. But he, he sneaks it in Denver. He's at the bottom of the pile, and there's a lineman on top of him, there are linemen underneath him, and his leg is just stuck out straight. Nobody knows what's going on. He can't bend his leg. That becomes evident. Training staff comes out there. They pop his kneecap back into place. He walks off the field, walks into the, the locker room, and tried to come back out and play. They had to keep him from doing that at the time. And then the Chiefs went on, and the next um, memory I have that's kneecap-related is being at the Super Bowl parade with Patrick Mahomes on the stage with the microphone talking about how the, his kneecap was on the side of his leg not all that long before they went on to win the Super Bowl. So – that one is the one that I think will live in infamy around here. If they go on to win another one uh, after this ankle injury against the Jags, that one will also live in in absolute uh, perfect memory for most Chiefs fans because 
there's not been a feeling in Kansas City sports as bad as looking at the field wondering when Patrick Mahomes is going to get up or if he's going to come back out onto the field. And he has made a point to not be carted off, to not even be helped off if he can help it. He was, you saw it on the sideline in the Jags game, he didn't want to go get the x-ray until halftime. Andy Reid said, if you don't go get the x-ray, I'm not putting you back in regardless. So you might as well go do it. Ultimately, he did, and they got good news there. But, yeah, I mean, sometimes it can be – it can feel a little cheesy to, like, really be like, oh, he just, you know, wants it more, competes harder or whatever. But with Patrick Mahomes, there is a fundamental toughness there to the way that he's playing the position and to his absolute refusal to end up anywhere other than on the football field if there's anything you can do about it. It, it really is exceptional. It's almost impossible to quantify. But, man, it, it is a vital part of, of who he is as a quarterback. Well – I think of who Andy Reid is as a play caller as well. When I look at the ramifications of this injury, he's got that Denny's menu of a play card that he's <laughs> referring to and, and him and Eric Bieniemy are drawing up things for, and they're so creative. We saw the snow globe earlier in the year where I always feel like they're showing you things to make you prepare for things, but they're really saving things for this time of year. We saw the Veer option uh, early in the game, given the lack of mobility of Mahomes and given the fact that you don't want to put him in harm's way, what does that do for the type of play calling we might see? And also, what does that do for who we might see on the field? Do we see a little bit more Jarek mm -hmm. McKinnon as you know a quarterback back there and a pass protector? Do we see some 13 personnel where you get three tight ends on the field to potentially max protect uh, what do you think changes around how this game is called well i think you got the personnel groupings right i mean they're, they're happy to let isaiah pacheco on the football and, and i love watching him run uh but jared mckinnon is an absolute like legitimate not an exaggeration he's a game changer as a pass protector you might have seen the the absolute like knockout punch he threw shortly after mahomes returned to the game on saturday Dude is a difference maker just keeping your quarterback clean. So I absolutely think that that's going to be a part of it. And they've been running a lot of 13 personnel stuff. Not a lot, a lot, but, you know, compared to, to most teams and compared to them in the past. And they can go heavy and then still throw to their tight ends, which creates matchup problems for defenses and could allow you to give a little extra help to your O-line if you need it. So the, the main thing, though, that I think we're going to see, and I think that we saw a little bit in the second half of the Jags game, and you're right that I think Andy Reid's got, like, the the – super top secret folder somewhere that where, where you have your plays you can pull out for games like these. But I think in the second half of the Jags game, you, you probably saw a pretty vanilla version of like an evolved edition of the Alex Smith offense because things need to work quickly. You need to rely on Patrick Mahomes' processing power, his ability to read what the defense is showing, adjust protection and get the ball out quickly because he can't extend the play for, you know, six and a half minutes running around in the backfield like he's able to do so frequently when he's healthy. So I, I, this really depends on how they see him moving over the course of the week, I'm sure. But I think you're going to see the Chiefs try to help Mahomes help himself in terms of the quick things that rely on maybe guys who can beat man-to-man -man coverage more quickly like a Kadarius Tony, who I'd love to see get more work. It's just hard to rely on him as much as I'd like for the Chiefs too because he barely got here an hour ago. He, he is a, a very new addition to this group while still being incredibly explosive. I think it means relying on Travis Kelsey like they did on Saturday, where more than half of the team's completions went to Travis Kelsey, an absolutely ridiculous stat that doesn't sound possible but is. 
when you know that you have a guy who can beat zone coverage and just find a pocket out there any given time, he becomes even more valuable. But seeing how the Bengals try to counter that, how they make you work to everyone except for Kelsey will be fascinating. And it's going to mean guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, like Darius Tony, Marcos Valdez-Scantling, even the other tight ends like Noah Gray. It's going to mean that those guys have to get open and they have to do it quickly. And Mahomes has to be ready to defeat, to defeat that defense, whatever they end up showing him pretty much before the snap, because again, those long extended plays, I'm sure he'll try to make a couple of them, but it's just really hard to ask Mahomes to do that on an ankle that we just have no idea what the structural integrity of at this point is. And before I let you go, I, I don't know how you felt, but when I saw Mahomes fighting to get back in the game, obviously he's a competitor. Obviously this is what you train for. You want to play, but I also feel like, in terms of the opportunity that's in front of this team, you know, they're all well aware that windows can be shorter than sometimes you realize. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you pay your quarterback half a billion dollars and the, that, that yearly price goes up year over year, it's tough to continue to put a good team around him in the margins. I didn't really understand how everyone thought everyone else in the AFC West was going to be a real threat other than the Chiefs. But I do see... Mm-hmm the age of some of the other talented quarterbacks in the league. Joe Burrow is still on his rookie deal. The Jaguars look like they're ascending and wondering, man, I know we've gone to a bunch of AFC championship games, but we really have to make sure we catch in and win a Super Bowl. Do you sense around this team that there's a real urge to be the Yankees and not the Braves with this window? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that made that injury uh, on Saturday so, you know, just, just suck the air right out of the sky around the city is that, and maybe even just going back to these last couple of years really kind of illustrates that. Nothing is guaranteed in the NFL. And the fact that the Chiefs won a Super Bowl in Patrick Mahomes' second year as the starter, I, I don't want to say for a second anybody here took it for granted because that's not true. We haven't seen a Super Bowl in Kansas City for 50 years. Everyone here appreciated it at the time, no question. But there was that feeling of like, oh, yeah, this team's a perennial contender. We're going to get more cracks at this around here too. And they have been a perennial contender, but you see a couple of badly timed offensive line injuries in Mahomes' toe, and all of a sudden you, you can't get anything going against the Buccaneers. You see last year you play the first half you'd like to see against the Bengals in the AFC Championship game, and things melt down in the second. Well, now you're here, and this feels like the year you can say, all right, you, you can learn from those experiences, exercise some demons, get rid of those ghosts, get back to another Super Bowl, and go ahead and bring back another Lombardi, and then Mahomes' ankle gets rolled up on. So the, the fragility of every window in the NFL is not lost on us. It's certainly at least not lost on me, and I don't think it's lost on the Chiefs at all. Um, and that's one of the things that made this season so stressful in the offseason and, and kind of tough to swallow because it was, oh, you're, you're moving Tyreek Hill because you're trying to build out your window over the next three and four years, even though it's probably shrinking your opportunities this year because you don't have Tyreek Hill out there anymore. Well, that was a part of the, of the logic. And now that the Chiefs are here again, the only thing that really has me doubting what they're going to look like against the Bengals is Patrick Mahomes' ankle. And it could be a good game if he was healthy. It could be a good game even banged up here. But there is, again, just I think an understanding of the fragility of how difficult it is to be that consistent team where the Chiefs have been the class of the AFC over this stretch, rightfully so. And now it's going to be a matter of, hey, if, if the Chiefs lose that arrowhead to Cincinnati again, 
Right, the Bengals going to have a real argument that they are the NFL's front runner, at the very least, the AFC's front runner. I think the Chiefs would be favored again in this upcoming offseason, but they don't want to wait for the offseason and do a whole other round of this, especially after the Bengals at Arrowhead were the way that they ended their season last time. Well, the thing I love about sports is either way, we're going to have juicy talking points this offseason. <laughs> if they lose, is Patrick Mahomes, the new Aaron Rodgers, he got one when he was on a cheap right. deal, but all these MVPs don't matter. Or if they win, Patrick Mahomes is the Michael Jordan of football. This is his flu game. Look how tough he is, right? We'll be talking about it either way. You will be putting it in perspective for us either way. Uh, Enjoy uh, the game. Thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Thanks for that context from Josh. You can follow him at JB Briscoe on Twitter. Also give follow to our next guest and the platform that he has built talking about Things like this, injuries. And that would be Dr. A, Dr. Analogy, who's got InsideInjuries.com. Whether it got you covered on, on five leagues where injuries are great concern, NFL, NBA, Premier League, La Liga, and MLB, but they're also helping you out with your bets. Their betting accuracy this NFL season has been hovering around 70%. Only our SN Bets crew could rival that number. What they do is they go through their database and algorithms to calculate the injury risk percentage and extrapolate that out to projected performance. They call it a health performance factor. So when a player is dealing with an injury, they calculate the optimal recovery time, amount of time needed for full recovery, and which is not exactly the same as when a player will return to injury, but it gives you a sense of, do I want to start this player on my fantasy team? Do I want to, Put them in my playoff pool. Will they be accruing points or should I wait? So you can get all that player data, which is calculated and given a a team health score, if you will, um, at their site. They they do that for the four position groups, offensive line, offensive skills, defensive line, secondary for every team. uh, And they use those team scores as guides for betting predictions. So it's really taking in the health and wellness of a team going into a game and trying to figure out, well, how will they perform in that game? Because that is certainly impacting that. And it certainly will impact the most important player, I'd argue, to his team in the sport. He is the MVP, and that is Patrick Mahomes. So we catch up with Dr. A to go inside his injury on going deep. So Dr. A, I think people hear ankle sprain and they chalk them up to all being the same. Played football, I had... Lots of ankle sprains, but that was stepping on the foot and rolling the ankle, a traditional one. I'm somewhat bow-legged, so I think I've got some built-in protection from the high ankle sprain. Can you just walk us through exactly the difference between the two and what a high ankle sprain is in the varying degrees of one? Yeah, I know there's a lot of confusion about that. Um, so there's a low ankle sprain and a high ankle sprain. The low ankle sprain... It are all of the ligaments that attach the fibula, which is the outer bone of the ankle, to the uh, you know the foot as well as the tibia because there are two bones that run down your leg, and they start all the way at the bottom of the ankle and they run all the way up to the top to like the mid uh, sort of lower leg there. And so, if you slice it in half, the lower part of those ligaments is called the lower ankle sprain if they get uh, torn or sprained. And then the high ankle sprain are the ligaments that attach 
the fibula to the tibia, which is kind of higher up on that lower aspect of the leg. And so when someone sprains their, you know, sort of lower uh, ankle ligaments, which is a low ankle sprain, there's a lot of blood supply um, to those ligaments. And so um, those tend to heal a lot better. You know, when you give therapy, everything travels through the blood system and, you know, kind of provides healing and, you know, like, um, you know, uh, removing of toxins and, you know, all of that good stuff. And so those tend to heal better and, um, you know, players tend to come back quicker from that. The problem with high ankle sprains is the blood supply. The blood supply is very poor to that area. And so it takes longer for a high ankle sprain to actually heal. And so the issue is, is that if somebody tries to come back um, too soon with a high ankle sprain, uh, they're not probably healed completely yet. So if they have a similar injury or they're sort of not really putting a lot of pressure on that side, they have a tendency to not perform as well and or injure the opposite ankle or injure another body part because they're putting so much dependence on that. So that's mainly the difference between um, a low ankle sprain and a high ankle sprain. And we've had some high-profile high ankle sprains in the past. Terrell Owens famously came back from one to play somewhat high level in the Super Bowl, but he was out for an extended period of time. Patrick Mahomes has had one on the other ankle and was able to play through it at a pretty high level what is the varying difference between them and how would you manage based off of that difference yeah I would say if it's if it's you know week two of the season you're not seeing Patrick Mahomes coming back in the next weekend right uh you know the the high ankle sprain the thing that affects you know the players the most other than re-injury or worsening injury the biggest thing is pain um, because uh, they don't heal and, um, you know, and so when they're, they put pressure on it um, and they're moving side to side and developing that torque, it is a, a extremely painful injury. And so there's a lot of pain management that goes into um, players that, that are coming off of a high ankle sprain and playing the next weekend. And typically what I saw, um, you know, and based on all of our data that we're getting is that he has a grade two high ankle sprain, which means it's not mild. It's kind of moderate. It's the, the ligaments are not torn, but they're, you know, inflamed. And so um, typically, you know, that you can institute pain management procedures. You can inject, uh, you can get multiple injections, um, you know, in and around those ligaments. So that way uh, he doesn't feel the pain, et cetera. Um, there is a risk though. The risk is, is that, you know, he could completely tear you know, a lot of the high ankle ligaments and then cause other injuries around it. And then he'll be completely out for a potential Super Bowl run or even, you know, early, you know, into the off season and stuff. So I think there's a gamble. Obviously the team is taking, this is not a purely medical decision. The fact that, you know, they're playing in the championship game and then they have, you know, one more game after that with a two week rest in between, they're kind of rolling the dice a little bit because normal medical management of a grade two high ankle sprain is about four to six weeks. A lot of the discourse online when the MRI came back that it was quote unquote, just a high ankle sprain and not something else feared based on the way that he was bent an MCL sprain was, wow, they dodged a bullet. I, I have no medical training, but I almost feel like an MCL sprain would be better because at least you could brace it up. High ankle sprain, you, you could tape it or spat it, but you know there's only so much you can do to it. But but that's me. When when you look at 
what the injury was based off what it could have been. Uh, how do you perceive that conversation and what can you do to make it somewhat stable in game? Yeah. So, uh, so first of all, yeah, an MCL sprain um, is an MCL sprain, but I think when they were talking about, uh, you know, um, talking about, not seeing anything else worse. We were, we were more worried about an ACL tear, complete tear of the MCL. Maybe there's a fracture, you know, um, you know, something like that. But in this particular case, he just had a high ankle sprain. So I think it was, they were expecting a lot worse when you saw the video and the way he was reacting on that in, uh, you know, from that injury. And so, um, you know, uh, an MCL sprain, um, you know, typically there's an injection and that's also grade two MCL is about three weeks, um, you know, optimal recovery time. Um, so it's, you know, it's very manageable, it's treatable, et cetera. But in the setting of a championship game to a Super Bowl, you know, you kind of have to, uh, you know, roll the dice a little bit. And so to stabilize there, it is extremely difficult to stabilize a high ankle sprain as well, because, you know, it's up higher and there's a lot more muscle mass there. Um, there's uh, the, the ligaments tend to be a little bit bigger that are inflamed. And so stability is going to be a very, very, um, you know, big issue. Uh, they're going to put a brace on his whole lower leg um, so that they can, you know, sort of secure the tibia and fibula together. So that way um, they're not moving a lot because the movement of the tibia and fibula will inflame the ligaments even more. And they're going to put a whole bunch of pain management so he can get through the game. Um, and that's all they can do basically um, is to manage the pain and then hope that he doesn't get hit or he doesn't get a rolled ankle um, again on that side, or he's not favoring one side to lead to an injury on the other. I mean, there is a, if you look at our uh, injury data, his injury risk, score is above 38%, which is, you know, very high. And so even though he is, you know, probably going to be playing at almost uh, a peak level, there is a very high injury risk with a, you know, sort of non-healed high ankle sprain. And so the management throughout the week leading up into the weekend until game time, I did think to myself, it's only 24 hours, but the fact that the game was on Saturday is a little bit of a, of a benefit we're obviously thinking yeah. zero reps, walking boot, nothing, you know, weight bearing as you get to the game and all of his reps essentially will have to be mental throughout the week. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, rest, 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 rest. Um, he should not be doing any lower body activities, you know, you know, throwing the football and, you know, kind of in a um, sort of in a boot and uh, making sure that, you know, there is no motion of that tibia and tibia, and those ligaments are, are basically resting. You know, obviously, there's a bunch of things that they can do to reduce the inflammation, and that's, uh, you know, through multiple injections, through some medication, and, you know, obviously, through hydration and a certain diet, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it's as simple as, you know, he needs to rest for seven straight days, um, which will mean, you know, uh, I, I am – not questioning his mobility because he is an incredible player, but I'm wondering, um, you know, typically when you're really not giving the amount of time, you know, to heal from a grade two high ankle sprain that later on in the game, as um, you know, he will be pressured no matter what, if he starts to feel, you know, sort of um, the impact of that ankle sprain and not be as mobile. 
Well, without doing anything, obviously, you might think something like fatigue. But I also thought when he went back to the locker room and came back, I thought, man, if he's going to play at all, he has to play because you lose that adrenaline. Uh, certainly taking him out of that in-game scenario might be more difficult. A full week removed from the injury when swelling has been able to set in, you obviously lose that adrenaline. Will it be more difficult for him potentially to play this coming Sunday than it was last Saturday right after the injury occurred? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So there's an adrenaline factor, you know, um, but they probably, you know, I mean, you can, you can do an injection um, in the locker room and get that pain management in 10 minutes. Um, and then kind of, it's like short-term pain management. So that probably helped as well. Um, but adrenaline with the pain management, you know, uh, uh, probably helped him greatly in the second half there. But you're right. Now, after a result of that, I bet you, you know, what's typical, right? You know how you work out a lot and then your muscle is sore after the, you know, 24 hours, et cetera. I mean, he's going to experience that, you know, sort of immobility and soreness, et cetera, and pain and all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, you're right. It's going to be a seven-day really sensitive type of immobilization with resting and um, anti-inflammatory type of procedures to make sure that, you know, you cool off those ligaments and uh, you basically get stable. We saw a similar injury, although a little bit worse. Tony Pollard with the ankle sprain and fibula fracture. He's in his offseason, so there's no real rush, although that certainly hurts his case in agency. But yeah, that's what we were worried about with, um, well, and frankly, that's what I thought. So there's a specific fracture. And I'm not a French speaker, but it's called Masonov fracture. So basically <clears throat> what that is, is there's so much of a twist of the ankle that force goes up the fibula and fractures the fibula. And so it's a resultant from a severe ankle sprain, but it fractures the fibula because the force is uh, so, um, you know, strong. And so that's what basically happened. Yep. And you need surgery to bring the bone pieces together from a fibula standpoint. And then you, you, you know, kind of, you know, get that alignment, get that healing. And yeah, that's going to take a couple of months and then he'll be in the off season, et cetera. But yeah, that's exactly, unfortunately what happened to him. The Cowboys. I'm trying to think given the position and Mahomes' injury, is there any other position in the sport that you'd be able to even think about playing a week after with a high ankle sprain? Is, is quarterback unique in that sense? hundred percent, right? Just think about it. Wide receiver, if a wide receiver this happens to, like there's absolutely no question that that player is going to have to be on the sidelines. The amount of explosive speed that you have to have and being a wide receiver and then cutting on a dime and, you know, uh, just there's so many more forces and the requirements for speed that that ligament's going to tear no matter what. Um, from a quarterback standpoint, you know, that position is so unique because they don't need explosive force. They don't need all of that kind of like a running back needs to, you know, move lateral and uh, or like a wide receiver or cornerback needs to do, you know, kind of north-south explosive motion. They're not doing that. So the quarterback position is unique that, you know, unless it's their throwing arm and they just physically can't do it uh, because they have some sort of upper, their throwing arm injury, 
you know, they can pretty much, you know, come back in a playoff and a Super Bowl or a championship scenario and try to help the team win if they're that important to the team. So you're right. Yeah, I mean, this is unique to the quarterback position. Another quarterback who is dealing with injury and potentially looking at playing would be Jimmy Garoppolo. Broke his foot week 13, long shot to play this week or even in two weeks in the Super Bowl. Different injury, but but still, you know, to the lower extremity. What is the equation in terms of his return to play and, and being able to, to come back? Well, I think that he's probably very close. Um, but because Purdy is just, you know, kind of, you know, got sort of the Niners rolling, you know, I just don't think there's a role for Garoppolo right now based on I think it's a coaching decision and not a medical decision at this point right now. I know they may be, you know, sort of spinning it as a medical decision right now, but um, he should be very close to, um, you know, uh, near optimal recovery time at this point. But I, I honestly, you know, this is very common where, you know, you're going with the momentum of the team with the quarterback that you have right now. And um, even though they're spinning it as a, still a medical injury, you know, this is more likely a coaching decision. Fascinating stuff. Love that insight from you and making what is very difficult and what people like you went to school for for a very long time somewhat digestible for people like me. Thank you so much. And with that context, I'm looking forward to the games. Enjoy them yourself. Okay, man. You too. Have a great week. So you heard it from Dr. A. A lot of R&R, rest, relaxation for Patrick Mahomes. He wants that ankle up and elevated, making sure getting, you know, lots of good blood flow. Someone who's had to do that, manage the injury throughout the week, is my buddy Mike Folds. We'll catch up with him, talk about the task that Patrick Mahomes has ahead of him after this break. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had the show. Thank you. Thank you, Grandma and Granddad and another member of my extended family. He's a brother from another. Is Michael Folds, who I played with, who's now the head coach of the Wilfrid Laurier Golden Hawks. But before that, he was most well-known for his 2009 Yates Cup Experience as the Heck Crichton winner in Canada. He's playing on one leg with torn ligaments in said leg, yet put up 509 yards. It was an amazing performance. But how do you get yourself to be able to sling it like that, given that you only have one good wheel? Let's talk to Mike about what Patrick Mahomes is going to have to do this weekend. Mike, as you're well aware, because even now, over a decade removed from it, it is the thing that people reference when they talk to you. But 2009, Yates Cup on one leg with barely any ligaments in the knee of the other, go for 500 yards, sadly, in a loss. But Heck Crichton winner, that's the game that I think defines your career. Talk to us as we... Compare and contrast what Patrick Mahomes is going to try to do. As a thrower, how do you get yourself ready to be able to throw the football when QB coaches say that you throw 
with your legs? Yeah, I would say uh, that is a challenge because obviously a lot of your power comes from your base, right? And, and your legs and your core. Um, so not being able to plant and, you know, have that weight transfer from your lower half uh, is definitely a challenge. And, you know, it's funny when you see people in the gym doing biceps, doing bench press, all of that, like there aren't many NFL quarterbacks, CFL quarterbacks with big biceps, right? Because uh, quarterbacks and, and that small fraternity of quarterbacks knows it comes from the lower half and the core. Um, the one thing Patrick Mahomes does really well is he's able to throw off of different platforms. Everyone talks about his baseball background and even how he changes his arm angle at times to, to maneuver and make throws. So that's super impressive. Um, but we'd be lying to say, you know, it's not going to affect him. And I think, you know, the training staff there will do a great job, much like my training staff did a great job where on game day, he won't be feeling it. Um, but I would be more concerned with the practice week and if he gets any practices in, um, because those pain medications that uh, he's going to have uh, working through his system on Sunday come 630, um, that's not something they're going to want to do throughout the practice week. So he's going to have very minimal reps this whole week. I'm sure he'll be in a walking boot the whole week. Um, and he's just going to have to do a good job in meetings to know exactly where he needs to go with the ball and and use some of those different platforms and throwing angles to to help him against the Bengals. Well, the odd thing is you don't want, by the time you get to Sunday, him to start to become immune to being shot up. Uh, and taking some of that pain away. So obviously you, you break glass and use any measures like that in case of emergency. Yours was PCL and ACL. How many ligaments were gone? Yeah, it was the ACL and the, the challenge too is the meniscus was kind of floating around in there. So it was something where it happened kind of halfway through the season. Um, and I was able to manage it in the sense that uh, that meniscus would move and it would kind of shift and it'd be a shocking pain um, and I would have to leave the game. So whether that was uh, a drive, whether that was, you know, a couple plays and then I, the pain would settle down and I'd go back in. Um, so that's kind of how I dealt with it for, you know, over half a season and into the playoffs. Um, the challenge, like I kind of alluded to with Patrick Mahomes, is that he's going to be feeling it excruciating pain, particularly today, and he would have yesterday. So those couple days after the game, uh, when the pain meds wear off a little bit, is when you really feel it. Um, it's when, you know, that injury really swells up. And then as you get closer day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute to the next game's kickoff, is when you start to feel a little bit better. But it really does, you know, it affects you in the game, but you have so much adrenaline plus the pain meds that you're able to manage through it. It really is the work week and that practice week. Uh, he's going to be hobbled. So he's actually managed this before, and he's played quite well with a high ankle sprain, but that was the left ankle. This is the right. In terms of drop back mechanics and throwing and, and really pointing at your target with that right foot as a right armed quarterback, what does this injury do in that respect? Yeah, well, like I mentioned, weight transfer. So uh, as a right-handed quarterback, all of his weight will be on that right side of his body. 
when he transfers and and finds that open target. So that's where he's going to be hobbled. You even saw it late in that game the other night against Jacksonville, where a simple swing pass, um, which he you know completes ten out of ten times, uh, fell drastically short and. He just assumed that his lower half was going to be able to transfer that weight on what was, you know, probably a 12-yard target away from him. Uh, But that ball, you know, landed in front of the intended target's feet. So I think knowing now what his lower half can and cannot do, he's going to have to change a little bit more. And we talk about what makes him so great is his unconventional style he's going to probably have to revert back to being more of a conventional quarterback, making sure his, you know, his feet, his cleats, everything is underneath his frame um, instead of some of those off angles where, you know, that could put a lot of torque on that ankle. Well, I was watching, we have a unique scenario where there's a chance it could have been a neutral site game. If your bills, condolences, uh, one, Uh, we would be in the Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta, not their facility, and obviously you, you fight hard for home field. But I thought, man, the Chiefs might hope to be on a neutral field where there are no elements, no weather, no snow, the fast track, and you would lose the ability of having the home field advantage of your doctors, knowing exactly where everything is, and you know being able to be really prepared from that standpoint. But I, I almost feel like a n- real sterile environment would be better for him, maybe not better for the team. It, it, is there truth to that, or does it really matter at that point? Yeah, I don't know. One uh, one is a turf surface, and then the other is grass, right? So I would say if it's at our level or the high school level, then you know grass surfaces tend not to be super flat, and you could have divots, you could have this, you could have that, but... At the NFL level, you know, they have probably have 10 people just in charge of that surface. So it'll be spot on. Um, And, you know, I'm not sure if the cold will affect his ankle too much. Like they'll try to warm it up. But as I mentioned earlier, he's going to have some, you know, significant pain medication. Plus, as we saw when he came back in the game, uh, they put a really, you know, good tape job on him. So uh, I think essentially they're going to make sure that ankle and that foot is immobilized uh you know tape uh inside the cleat and then tape around the cleat so it'll almost look like a little bit of a walking boot um so i think even on that home grass he should be fine i selfishly because i'm a running back i think what does this mean to the run game and some people would say oh they're gonna lean heavier on the run i'm gonna pick you know isaiah pacheco in daily fantasy because they're gonna give him you know 20 touches and not the the 10 that he normally gets. But I think it impacts the run game in two ways. One, there's really no true bootleg threat on the back end. So defensive ends can crash hard down the line of scrimmage, knowing that not going to try to put him in harm's way and he's not going to really threaten the edge. Two, on on those zone read runs, you got to get on your horse as a quarterback to get the ball there, to give your your tailback some options how does that change how they design and set up the run game something that they'll need to stay uh, ahead of the sticks yeah I would agree with those comments I I think that's where you know Cincinnati's defensive coordinator is going to try to take advantage a little bit just knowing that 
in, you know, RPO situations, you know, everyone thinks of, you know, we're handing it off to the running back or we're throwing the ball. Well, the added element with an athlete like Patrick Mahomes is him running it himself too. So what is normally three options is probably down to two this week. Um, you know, I would say Patrick's definitely a pass first type quarterback, um, but he is sneaky in the sense where there's probably three first downs a game, unscripted quarterback runs where the Chiefs benefit because of his athleticism. So I think that's something that's going to go out the window if he's able to scramble for one first down in this game. That might be a bit of a surprise to everyone in the stadium. So um, Cincinnati will definitely be scheming for you know, him to hand it off directly to the running back or, you know, when they are setting up play action, it's going to be more of a play action versus a bootleg, like you said. Um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, some of these guys are so dangerous when they get out of the pocket. Um, I think Cincinnati will be able to do a job keeping him in there, knowing that, you know, he's less than 100%. So let's go in the mind of the play callers. Start on offense with Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. All of the offense is spread to a certain extent, but still Andy Reid is a disciple of the West Coast offense, so that's a quarterback under center a lot. Timing, rhythm, drops. With his injury, how do you manage putting him in the gun, maybe give him a little bit more protection? What changes in terms of the menu of options that you have as a play caller and even formations potentially going to a little bit more max protect, getting you know the the multiple tight end looks that they have in 13 personnel and so on on the field what's Andy Reid's week looking like building out a game plan knowing that his QB isn't going to be as mobile yeah I, I think he and Patrick are having conversations well they would have had conversations yesterday and then again today as they're making this game plan so back to my playing days like coach Marshall and I had to talk about what I could and couldn't do um, so rolling left for me was like a big no-no. Um, so there's going to be certain things that Patrick, you know, is going to say, I'm going to have limitations. And I, I think your point about under center versus gun is a big one. Um, them under center, that's going to create a lot of pressure on that ankle, just trying to do a drop back. Whereas, you know, when he's in the shotgun, he's already at five yards and the depth of his drop is a little less important. Um, the one thing we saw the Bengals do well yesterday against the Bills is they were able to just rush three or four and get pressure. So Kansas City is definitely going to have to sure up their protection. And what that might look like is, you know, before Kelsey gets out on a route, maybe he's chipping that DN. Same with the running back on the other side. So they're going to want to keep that pocket a little bit cleaner, um, which, you know, has its give and takes, right? It it allows maybe for a few less targets for Patrick to find back there, but that's something they're probably willing to sacrifice if they know he can have a stable pocket and say two or three options versus, you know, a heavy pass rush and five options. The flip side, defensively, I look at this on that Bengal staff and I say, well, traditionally, you know, I want to keep him in the pocket. Now it's the opposite. I want to overload in terms of, bring more people on one side, force him by definition to roll and maybe not blitz per se in terms of being more than they can block overall, because you don't want to give him a reason to get the ball out of his hands quickly. That's what he would love to do. And he beats the blitz, you know, normally. 
but certainly making sure that we make him move and then showering my, my coverage to that side that we're pushing him to, uh, w- w- making him see bodies. That's how I would tackle it, but I've never tried to scheme plan a great QB. How do you view the defense looking at what some would say would be a wounded animal yeah. in a quarterback? That would be a fair assessment. Like typically with an athletic quarterback, your defensive ends, you know, are going to maintain leverage and, and try to keep that guy in the pocket. Um, the one thing Cincinnati has is their strength is actually their interior tackles. So DJ Reader is, you know, explosive guy. So if they can compromise the depth of the pocket, meaning, you know, that defensive tackle pushing that center or guard back into his feet um, he's going to feel uncomfortable there and want to get out Um, so then the big question is you know he wants to get out of that pocket is his ankle going to allow him to do so and and still be effective uh, if he is trying to get out of there so that'll be the ongoing chess match as always Um, but when you add in the element of an injured player especially at that position especially in in this meaningful of a game um, it's definitely top of mind for both staffs. This is why I love this sport because there are so many little intricate details that the average person may not really realize when they're placing their bets or they're in their pool or they're just throwing on their jersey and cheering. And so I'm certainly going to look at how are his feet through trash. Does that interior pressure change his eyes and make him look down at the rush and not, uh, you know, down at you know the deep depth of target that he often looks towards so many interesting aspects thank you for breaking them down for us no problem thanks for having me on thanks to mike for great insight like that or if you just want to know what the laurier recruiting scenario is like in the off season of 2023 at michael folds is the follow and thank you for listening and following us on behalf of lance show this has been a really insightful show i'm fascinated to see what Mahomes looks like on Sunday and best believe we'll break that and much more down when we are back on Monday. Take care.